the reading this morning is going to be pretty lengthy. If you'd like to turn it up, it's on page 55 in the Pew Bible. It's Genesis chapter 49, and we'll be reading the first 28 verses. This is one of those passages where the wee title in the New International Version doesn't seem to fit quite right what comes after it. <laughs> You'll see what I mean when it goes along. It says, Jacob blesses his sons, but uh, what do you hear what he has to say? Verse 1, then Jacob called for his sons and said, Gather round so that I can tell you what will happen to you in days to come. Assemble and listen, sons of Jacob. Listen to your father Israel. Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might, the first sign of my strength, excelling in honor, excelling in power. Turbulent as the waters, you will no longer excel, for you went up onto your father's bed, onto my couch, and defiled it. Simeon and Levi are brothers. Their swords are weapons of violence. Let me not enter their council. Let me not join their assembly, for they have killed men in their anger and hamstrung oxen as they pleased. Cursed be their anger, so fierce, and their fury so cruel. I will scatter them in Jacob and disperse them in Israel. Judah, your brothers will praise you. Your hand will be on the neck of your enemies, and your father's sons will bow down to you. You are a lion's cub, O Judah. You return from the prey, my son. Like a lion, he crouches and lies down. Like a lioness, who dares to rouse him? The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until he comes to whom it belongs, and the obedience of the nations is his. He will tether his donkey to a vine, his colt to the choicest branch. He will wash his garments in wine, his robes in the blood of grapes. His eyes will be darker than wine, his teeth whiter than milk. Zebulun will live by the seashore and become a haven for ships. His border will extend towards Sidon. This occurs a scrawny donkey lying down between two saddlebags. When he sees how good is his resting place and how pleasant is his land, he will bend his shoulder to the burden and submit to forced labor. Dan will provide justice for his people as one of the tribes of Israel. Dan will be a serpent by the roadside, a viper along the path that bites the horse's heels so that its rider tumbles backwards. I look for your deliverance, O Lord. Gad will be attacked by a band of raiders, but he will attack them at their heels. Asher's food will be rich. He will provide delicacies fit for a king. Naphtali is a doe set free that bears beautiful fawns. Joseph is a fruitful vine, a fruitful vine near a spring whose branches climb over a wall. With bitterness, archers attacked him. They shot at him with hostility, but his bow remained steady. His strong arms stayed supple because the hand of the mighty one of Jacob, because of the shepherd, the rock of Israel, because of your God, your father's God who helps you, because of the Almighty who blesses you, with blessings of the heavens above, blessings of the deep that lies below, blessings of the breast and the womb. Your Father's blessings are greater than the blessings of the ancient mountains and the bounty of the age-old hills. Let all these rest on the head of Joseph, on the brow of the prince among his brothers. Benjamin is a ravenous wolf. In the morning he devours his prey. In the evening he divides the plunder. All these are the twelve tribes of Israel, and this is what their father said to them when he blessed them. 
giving each of them the blessing appropriate to him. Morning. Um, it is lovely to be with you, um, even if I do have to speak. Um, but let's just, let's just pray as we come to, to look at God's Word. Lord, we, we thank you for your Word. We thank you that it is so full and rich, and it has so much to teach us. Lord, we thank you that your Son is so evident in every page that for thousands of years you told us your plans and your purposes. And Lord, as we come to look at those today, Lord, we pray that you will bless us. Pray, Lord, that you will speak through me, Lord, that this is your word. Uh, and Lord, we pray that you will speak to our hearts as we, as we look at it together. Amen. So there they are, 11 brothers sitting around outside Jacob's tent. They have gathered together because this is it. Their dad, the one who has been there, their leader, their guide, their protector, the one who has taught them all about God and his promises is finally leaving them. As they wait, they look around at each other. They wonder, what's going to become of us now? What does the future hold for us? This little group trying to find their place in a new land. And then out from the tent emerges Joseph, Manasseh and Ephraim in tow. And as he sends the boys on, he turns to his brothers and says, Dad wants to see us. They gather themselves up. They make their way into the tent. Does he have a final word for them? Does he just want them to be with him? as he passes on? No. Jacob, who, who once wrestled with God, now walks closely with him. And God has shared with Jacob some of the detail of the promise that he had made to his grandfather, Abraham. This promise to, to make a great nation out of them, to bless the whole world through them. Now Jacob is going to share this revelation with his sons. Chapter 49 is, is essentially the, the contents page for the whole of biblical history, right up to the coming of the Messiah. It charts the future of the various tribes. It shows us that God is in control, that his rescue plan is in action. The Messiah is coming, coming to bring us into God's abundant kingdom and that we are a blessed people. Blessed because of what God has done for us in his mercy and love. It was normal in the culture for a father to bless his sons before his death. At the end of our passage today, it's clear that this is Jacob's blessing for his sons. But as Billy alluded to, and as we saw as we read it, I'm not sure some of those sons walked away feeling particularly blessed. In fact, Jacob doles out a number of curses towards his sons. Is this just the, the final moments of a, a bitter old man having a pop at his sons that have let him down, that have hurt him? It might seem that way. And certainly Jacob's words reveal that there are consequences for sin. 
But this isn't just Jacob's blessing for his sons. This is God's blessing, revealing his plans for this people, plans to use them to bring about the blessing of the whole world through his son. It begins with this change in leadership. Reuben's blessing starts off pretty well. Jacob gives Reuben his place as the firstborn. But then comes the curse. Turbulent as the waters, you will no longer excel. For you went up onto your father's bed, onto my couch, and defiled it. Reuben had slept with Bilhah, Jacob's concubine, and the mother of, of Dan and, and Naphtali. And the sexual sin was bad enough, but the implication of the action was that Reuben was taking his father's place, trying to usurp his position as head of the house and act in opposition to God's plan for his people. For this, he loses his inheritance, the double portion that was due to him. And as you look down the history of the tribe of Reuben, they become a sideline tribe out on the fringes of Israel. No prophet, no king, no judge ever rises from the tribe. Be expected that the leadership would pass to, to the next in line, but Jacob lumps Simeon and Levi in together, and this time there's no words of blessing, just the curse. If you remember, Simeon and Levi's sister Dinah had been raped by Shechem, who then fell in love with her and wanted to marry her. An agreement was reached where the men of Shechem would be circumcised in order to allow Dinah to marry into that family. However, Simeon and Levi snuck into the village while the men were recovering and put them all to death. In verse 6, we see their violence and nastiness went so far that they even maimed the animals so that they could never be useful again. Simeon and Levi believed this act of mass revenge was totally justified. Chapter 34, verses 30 and 31 say this, Then Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, You have brought trouble on me by making me a stench to the Canaanites and Perizzites, the people living in this land. We are few in number, and if they join forces against me and attack me, I and my household will be destroyed. But they replied, should he have treated our sister like a prostitute? No repentance, no sense of shame over what they did in response to this horrendous crime against their sister. But it may not be the violence that's in view here in Jacob's words. In verse 5, you'll, you'll notice a little note beside the word sword. If you look at the bottom, you'll see that scholars have actually had trouble identifying what this word used there means. It's the only time this word is used in the Bible. And looking at other ancient Hebrew texts, the word, it could mean a weapon, but it could also mean a kuru vessel. No? Well, in case your, your knowledge of ancient Mesopotamian rituals is a wee bit rusty, a kuru was a, a flask used to seal agreements, usually around marriage. Jacob may well be saying here, your agreements your promises, your covenants are weapons of violence. 
the reason for the severity of Simeon and Levi's punishment is not just the violence of their actions, but it's because they they took the covenant God had made with His people to save them, to bless them, to be faithful to them, the sign of which was circumcision, and they used it as a way to trick people so they could kill them. And so neither is given a portion of the promised land. Wonder as we look at those first three brothers, does it worry you? I really hope my great-great-grandfather didn't do anything to really upset God. Is that how God works? Punishing future generations for the, the sins of their fathers? What hope do we have if that's the case? Reuben, Simeon, Levi, they're punished for their unrepentant sin. Reuben and Simeon's tribes fall away. Simeon's is eventually completely enveloped by Judah. But in Levi, we see the truth of the character of God. Levi never receives a land. But due to an act of faithfulness to God during the incident with the the golden calf in Exodus, the tribe of Levi become the tribe of the priests, those who would mediate before God for the entire nation of Israel. God forgives the tribe of Levi. And because of their faithful obedience, he lifts them up to a place of importance and prominence in Israel. Our God is a a God who can't abide sin and sinfulness. If we remain alone in our sin or, or act in opposition to God, like Reuben, like Simeon, we will face his just and deserved judgment. But our God is a merciful God, slow to anger, quick to forgive. He shows this with the Levites. But in the passage we've read today, we see it in a huge way with the treatment of Judah. I'm sure as Judah stood there and listened, his heart must have dropped. Jacob turns to him, the one who suggested they sell Joseph into slavery, the one who impregnated Tamar, the wife of his deceased son, thinking he was visiting a prostitute. What well-deserved curses is his father going to have for him? And then Jacob utters this, this beautiful blessing on Judah, raising him to the leadership role of the family and making incredible claims about his descendants. So why is Judah lifted up when the others have been cursed? Judah was a sinner just like his brothers. But unlike them, Scripture records that a change had taken place in his life. The story of Tamar ends with Judas declaring, she is more righteous than I. He recognizes his sin and that he's messed up. And we see this change continue when it's Judah who pleads before Joseph to let him take Benjamin's place as a slave. Judah has been shown to have changed. And it's to him and not to Joseph that the headship of the family goes and from whose line great kings and eventually the Messiah would come. Maybe you're sitting here today 
and you're thinking, what would God want with me? How can I follow him? How can I keep following him after the things I've done? After the way that I've lived? Those sins that I just can't seem to get away from, that I just can't seem to put to death? What would God want with me? Look at Levi. Look at Judah. These guys were a mess. And yet God chose to use them in a massive way. As the people of Levi turned back to him, as Judah realized his sinfulness and turned to him, God was faithful. And he kept his promises through the ages. To us, he says, come. Come to me. Put your faith in me. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, I will show you mercy. I will show you forgiveness. And I will be faithful to you. And I never break my word. Judah was was not just raised up to be the head of the family. His tribe was going to dominate and lead the history of his people, like a lion dominating his territory. We see this through David, the greatest king of Israel, and his line that carries on. And it's from here that we get that messianic title of Jesus being the lion of Judah. In fact, verses 10 to 12 are all about Jesus one from the tribe of Judah, the line of David, a greater king who would come not just for Israel, but to fight for and call to obedience all people. Verse 11 is is referencing the kingdom that this final lion of Judah will be king over, a place of abundance and great riches represented by the free-flowing wine There's so much of the good stuff there that you can even afford to to let your donkey chew away at the vines. So much of the the good stuff that you you can waste it washing your clothes. This is what the kingdom of God will be. A place filled to the brim with the good things. A perfect place. Because we will be in God's perfect and abundant presence through Christ. Jesus shows us this in in that first miracle that he performed at the wedding at Cana, turning the water into a huge amount of the finest wine, hinting to the people that his kingdom was coming and it was going to be better and greater than anything that had come before. We get to have a taste of that kingdom now, but the best is yet to come. And just look at how Christ is described in verse 12. His eyes will be darker than wine. He's beautiful. Why? Is it his looks? The prophecy of Isaiah 53 says he's going to be nothing much to look at. He's beautiful because of his love. Love that led him to take on human form that first Christmas. To live as one of us and ultimately to die for us, to die on our behalf, to take the punishment of our sin so that we could be forgiven, so that we don't have to face the judgment we deserve for every wrong and sinful thing that we've ever done. He came to be that substitute, 
Just as Judah offered to take Benjamin's place, Christ, his descendant, came to take ours, to face our punishment so we can instead enter his abundant kingdom. His teeth, whiter than milk, a reference to the strength of his bones. He's strong, strong beyond all others because he actually went through with it. He did it. He lived that perfect life that we could never live. He defeated death and sin, and now through him, we can have life, real life forever. I wonder, are you looking forward to Christmas? Maybe you're already caught up in the busyness and the presents and the parties. Maybe you're sitting here this morning thinking of the the hundreds of things that you need to get done before you can get finished up for the holidays. In the busyness of this time of year, don't let Christ pass you by. Don't let this incredible moment in history, God coming to be with us, to save us, become just a trivial thing. Don't let it be on your lips, but far from your heart. And don't waste the opportunity that Christmas gives us to share Christ and maybe even be used by him to save a life. Who could you invite along to one of our carol services and then follow up with them? Ask about what they heard, what they saw, what they think. Who could you share some scripture with this Christmas and explain why it means so much to you? at this time of year? Who could you be asking about their favorite carol and explain something of what it means? It's okay to go away and look that up and come back to them. I'm not expecting you to know the meaning of every carol. Some of them are really confusing, but anyway. How can you, in some simple way, let people know that you believe all this stuff? And if they ever wanted to, they could come and talk to you about it? Who can you be praying for? For opportunities to share, for a a softening of hearts that they might come to know and follow our beautiful, strong king, this lion of Judah, who calls us into his abundant, never-ending kingdom. The Bible says very little about the other brothers. And so we're going to do the same. You'll be glad to know. All I want to say about Zebulun down to Benjamin is that everything written here comes to pass for each of these tribes. Zebulun's economy was based around foreign trade. Issachar failed to remove the Canaanites and ended up becoming their slaves. Dan produced Samson one of the judges who waged a one-man war against the mighty Philistines. Gad is given a land near Ammon and Moab with constant border clashes going on. Asher is given fertile lands. Naphtali, not much is said about them, but they have their highs and their lows. And Benjamin the wolf became a tribe of great warriors who would often lead Israel into battle. I find great comfort in these verses. Through all the ups and downs of the history of these people, 
God is with them. God is in control. And he is weaving everything together, the bad and the good, to fulfill his good purposes. All leading to that baby in the manger. Come to save us all. And if you put your faith in Christ, God will be with you too. Through all the ups and downs, he is in control. And just like with Joseph, he is working all things together for your good. Paul in in Romans 8, 28 says something very similar to the Roman church starting to face persecution. He says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. As we finish, I want to turn just very briefly to the one brother we haven't really mentioned today, Joseph. We have already seen Jacob bless the sons of Joseph, who will each have their own tribe. But here instead, we have a beautiful summary of the life of Joseph. This fruitful vine, so filled with fruit that its branches hang low for others to share. Joseph fruitful in any work that he did. He blessed others all around him, saving the known world from famine, saving God's people, finding them a place to become this great nation, attacked at many points by archers, his brothers, Potiphar's wife, being forgotten about in prison, the temptations of power, and yet he was faithful, not because of his own strength, but because he remembers his God. Jacob uses five different ways of referring to God here, highlighting the level of Joseph's faithfulness, just how God-centered his life really was. And then the blessings. Six different blessings given to Joseph. Joseph is probably already feeling pretty blessed. He has everything he could ever want. He has his family back. He's been able to spend 17 more years with his father. But Jacob is saying here, the blessings for your future far outdo any way that you have been blessed now. It's the same for us. God wants to bless us. Maybe he will do that here and now. But any blessing that we receive now is as nothing compared to the blessings to come for our future. And we've said repeatedly throughout this series, God wants us to be a blessing to others, to be that fruitful tree with deep roots into the rock of our salvation, overflowing with low-hanging fruit, reaching out to others, to bless them and help them to find that same life that we have found. How amazing would it be if someone were to describe your life the way Jacob describes Joseph? This is a big passage, and I've talked about it for too long. But what's it all about? God is in control. He is in charge. 
He outlines here through Jacob the next nearly 1,800 years of history. And it all unfolds, all part of his incredible plan of salvation, all leading to the Lion of Judah, come to save us, come to offer us a place in his abundant, eternal kingdom, come to pour out his incredible blessing on us and calling us to share that blessing with others that they might come to know and accept the life we are offered by our merciful and mighty King, Jesus.